Hello and welcome to When the Bible Wasn't There. My name is Marco. And I'm Josh. What do you do when the Bible doesn't seem personal and when you just can't hear the voice of God? Join us as we explore and find the deeper message hidden within the Bible stories we thought we knew. This week, our season final, the death of Moses. So this season has been a journey. It's the spiritual journey of Israel. It's the journey of Moses into learning what leadership is. And for us, it's been the journey of rediscovering God in, in a sense, right? Because when we think of God and we think of the Old Testament, what do people say when they hear the Old Testament stories? I mean, just the other time we were at uh, the grocery, remember? Yeah. And this, is, uh, this lady was saying how your friend was saying how her vision of God is, well, there's a different God in the Old Testament. There's a different God in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. There's a, a God that has uh, anger management issues to the God that... Says uh, to turn the other cheek. Yeah. So, you know, different phases. And so this is one one of the books that we get a lot of more criticism, criticism mm-hmm. especially from non-Christians. Yeah. And they, they, they say things like, if God is a God who has to grow and change, what, what makes him worthy of me following him, yeah. right? Like he has his own issues to work out, obviously. But this isn't the full picture of God. This is a distorted image of God. And it comes from reading these stories out of context. It comes from reading them with a kind of a skewed image of God to begin with. And it often comes from them being told to us by people who have this coloration of who God is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when you you film something and if you have your color settings wrong, it'll, it'll make the world look completely different. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like if you, you're holding a video camera and you're pointing it at God, and if you don't have your theology right, and you don't have all these sound doctrines, and you don't take the time to make your own relationship with him, it's going to be all color graded wrong. It's not yeah. going to look like reality. Yeah. So you bring the example of video, and that's, that's very true, because you have the camera. You have the choice of focusing on the scene that you want. Mm-hmm. So it is the same thing with the Bible. We have multiple scenes. We have multiple clips that many times we decide to choose just one clip. And obviously we're going to get a distorted vision of what the whole narrative yeah. is. So, or there's also like those, those memes where it's like um, an episode, it would be like an episode of a show out of context. Yeah. And then it just has like a whole bunch of random images re- somewhat related to the show. And I think that's what we do with the Bible, right? We're like the Bible out of context. And it's like an angry guy and like lightning and, a serpent and like all these like random things that yeah sure they're in the bible and they're related to some something in there but without it you can't make out what the show is about from one of those memes yeah and you can't make out what the bible is about by like just scattering and flipping through the pages you need to read the story yeah and pretty much when we look the uh, the exodus story is very simple mm-hmm. god's people were in slavery he loved them so much he wanted to get them out of slavery and place them in the land which was the complete opposite where they would be free, where they would um, flourish as a nation. So he wanted to get them from point A to point B. However, in this uh, line between slavery and the the promised land, you have have all the drama there. It's where our difficulties arise, right? Because the thing about that we have to establish is, yes, this is a great thing that God wants to do. So why is it so hard for the Israelites? Because when you come from a mindset of slavery, spiritually, physically, mentally, like they do, Freedom is terrifying. Like it there is. Are, there are aspects of it that you just simply can't understand. Yeah. And I think there is something to be said about slavery because in a way, and hear me out on this, in a way, it's comfortable. It's comfortable. Why? You're a slave and yes, you like the life and we read it through in Exodus. You know, they were, they had it. So they didn't want to be slaves, but there was something that they didn't want to give up in order to be free. And that was their comfort zone. And yeah, the thing about comfort is that you can make yourself comfortable. And this is, you know, a known thing about psychology. 
you can make yourself comfortable in the worst situations. Mm-hmm. You know, Stockholm syndrome, it's literally bonding with your captors. Yeah. It's literally making yourself comfortable to survive. So when we say slavery can become comfortable, it can be the most uncomfortable thing ever. But your brain will start to rationalize it. Your brain will say, this makes sense. I don't want the unknown. Mm-hmm. I don't want to walk into the wilderness because who knows what's out there. Here, I know what I get. I get my straw, I get my mud, and I have to make my bricks. Mm-hmm. That's it. And on, on, in return, you get to live and you get fed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a roof over your head. And, you know, the, you have this routine that is predictable. It's awful, yeah. but it's predictable. That is true. And then, especially when we look at, um, I forgot this guy's name, uh, Maslow's py- uh, Pyramid of um, Needs. Yes. On the very base, what do you have? You have food. You have food. That is the very basic. So in a slave mind, you stay right here. You get food, you get uh, mm-hmm. a roof Shelter. Right They're the basic human needs. And God wants to take you from your very basic needs up to self-actualization. Because what God wants us to do, and follow me on this, if you will, God wants to bring us back up to the level we were created to be. Absolutely. And Satan wants to keep us at this primal level, our basic yeah. pyramid needs. God is like, you're, you're made for so much more than this. Yeah. But climbing up that pyramid, if you will, is it, like I said, it's terrifying. Yeah. Because not only do you have to walk into the unknown, but you have to trust that the person guiding you into the unknown knows the unknown, knows the unknown, and also has your best interest in mind when no one else has. Yeah, that's the thing. And I would like to to spend a little time on the concept of slavery because usually when we take a look at it, well, yes, it's physical, mm-hmm. but it's more more than just physical. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. It is. Uh, it's uh, emotional as well. Mm-hmm. So they had this uh, this perception of their worth based on this whatever you can accomplish this is what your worth it is if you can make x amount of bricks well then uh, i think i'm going to pay more for you and what happens when they come out from this slavery and go in a relationship with god well they, they kind of have the same mindset right like all these things we will do god you know you laid out what we have to do and we'll do it because we don't want to anger you mm-hmm. we don't want to upset you so everything you say we will do and yet they still have this mindset of a slave because when God, when God and Moses go up on the mountain and he's gone for 40 days, they get nervous. Yeah. Why? They're used to someone physically leading them, driving them to a place. And when they lose sight of who should be guiding them, that physical sight in Moses, they freak out. It is like we were talking yesterday uh, with some of the guys on Zoom. Many times we use emotional crutches that you were yeah. mentioning. And this can be literally anything. It can be someone, it can be something physical, it can be addiction. And we see that they already have this um, this uh, emotional crutch or something that they're holding on for security, mm-hmm. something that reminds them of the security that Egypt had to offer. Exactly. Moses becomes their security blanket. Mm. That's the key term. Now, elaborate more a little bit on security blanket. Okay. It, all of us have been children. Yeah. We've all had a favorite stuffed animal, okay. favorite blanket or a favorite toy. And if that toy went missing, or all of us have dealt with small children too, yeah. if that toy goes missing, it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, that, that toy gives us comfort. And one psychologist puts it, it's a transitional item, right? Between the mother and the child. Between the mother and the child. So it, it, it allows you to go from being always at your mother's side mm. to having something else that you like use as your comfort. Mm. And for them, they went from being quote unquote comfortable in Egypt to seeing Moses now as this comforting figure, as this figure that was to represent the unknown. You know, they can't see God. But they can see Moses. But they can see Moses. They used to be able to see the idols in Egypt and bow down to them and worship them and get the comfort from that. So now Moses is gone. And they tell Aaron, you know, what are we going to do? This guy's gone. 
and he was our security. He's what we knew. He's what we could see. You know, maybe this was all for nothing. And they began to make up stories. You yeah. remember, they're like, well, he brought us here to kill us. He's going to take all of our goods. And by the way, they have gotten a lot of gold from Egypt. Yeah. So maybe that was a master plan. So they had all of these conspiracy theories. So while he doesn't come down, and what happens next? Well, they tell Aaron, you know, we need you to make a calf for us. We need you to make a, a god that we can see. So that he gets the gold, he melts it down. And now they have a new security blanket. They have something else that they can, like, trust in. They can see it. They can touch it. And it kind of just gives them this semblance of Egypt. Mm. It brings back some of those old Egyptian feelings. All the good ones, right? You know, being yeah. able to pray to something you can see. Having stability. Having a dance party. Like, all these crazy things that they used to do there. They do them now. Like, when Moses and Joshua are walking down from the hill, they say, you know, like, is there a war breaking out? Yeah. And Moses is like, no, that's, not, that's the sound of something else. So we see how quickly in freedom we want to go back to slavery. Yeah. yeah, they were ready to go back to Egypt. As a matter of fact, that's why they created it. They said, we want this to lead us back to where we came from. Exactly. They would say, yeah. well, we will take this back to Egypt. And when they see that we worship a god similar to their gods, they're going to accept us. They're going to accept us back. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, you just saw... You just saw everything God did for you, right? You just saw him part the Red Sea. You just saw him deliver you from slavery. And yet you say, we need to identify with our captors. That's Stockholm Syndrome. That's literal textbook Stockholm Syndrome. I need to identify with my captors so they'll accept me back. So that they won't hurt me if I approach them. Mm. This, is, this is how twisted this relationship gets, right? But at the same time, we see that God is very merciful. He's very loving to them because he puts up with us. With yeah. set of again and again yeah and yet we laugh at the israelites right like mm -hmm. we're about to do it right now we're about to say this is ridiculous but we do the same thing yeah and that's what i wanted to stress with this whole series like we do the same thing we're getting caught up in this one moment right and we're saying how ridiculous it is but how often do we turn back to a sin it says in james he who knows what is good and does it not it is sin mm. You know, once God reveals something to us and we keep turning back to it and turning back to it and turning back to it, are we any better than the Israelites in this sense who build an idol? One of the things that I have noticed, especially in my, in my you know, Christian experiences and also speaking with, you know, other believers as well, is that we usually come to our sin or to our pet sins, if you will. We come to them when things don't go the way we want it to. Yeah. When things start to go bad, that's when we resort to these kind of sins because they're the ones that will. Yeah, and you know, we see this with children, right? Going back to that example, when a small child gets hurt, you they, they want their favorite toy. They yeah. want their favorite like stuffed animal, whatever it is, they want that. Or if they're having a bad day, that's the first thing they'll play with. They, they have this sense of this is what gives me comfort. Yeah. And even some people, they do that with food. Yeah. Right, like this food gives me comfort or comfort food. I mean, comfort, yeah, exactly. Right? Comfort food. Yeah. So, we turn to these things, different things to find comfort in, and when yet we have the great comforter mm. ready and willing to like help us, yeah. the great counselor, he's there and he's like, Hey, like we can talk this out, and yet we run to these addictions. And I think when we look at uh, the Exodus story, one of the things that stand out to me the most is that God is trying to get us from this pet sin, this cherished mm. sin to a relationship with him. Exactly. And and the thing is that when we get into a relationship with God, he shows us how to deal 
mm-hmm. with the unknown. He shows us how to do with our with our suffering and our and our hurt. Because what does he say in the New Testament? Cast your burdens upon me. Yeah. If you have something, give it to me. I will deal with it. You don't have to resort back to the slavery in order to deal with your emotions. And what I find amazing is while the Israelites are bickering and murmuring about how God has abandoned them and how they need to replace him, he's discussing with Moses how to build a permanent dwelling in their camp. Mm. While they're saying God has abandoned us and we need to figure out what we're going to do next, God is saying, so Moses, I want the tabernacle, tabernacle to look like this. I want the walls to look like this because this is where I'm going to live and it's going to be in the center of the camp. And they don't, they don't know this. They don't know that God is literally planning to be roommates with them. Yes. Um, the other time I was reading uh, a book on parenting and uh, psychology as well. And uh, one of the things that I found very interesting is that many times when you have a dysfunctional relationship between, between a father and a son, usually a father and a son or a mother and, you know, and children, parents will usually try and communicate verbally with them. Mm-hmm. That's the first step. If, we're, if, uh, if my son or my daughter has distance from me, I'm going to make sure that I force myself so we can have a dialogue. And we usually see this with, uh, with teenagers where, when they're going through that phase. And this psychologist was saying that the best way to bring and heal this relationship with, which has been severed, the best way is to just exist in their presence, which means that you're, if they're not ready to talk to you, you're going to respect their, their wish. Yeah. And you just have to allow yourself to exist in their, in their presence. Why? Because this will, will show them, even if you throw a tantrum, I'm here. Many times parents will do this. Uh, if one of their children is acting up, well, the very first thing, well, if you're, if you're throwing a tantrum, I'm not going to be a part of it. Time out, get out. Um, I'm not going to be with you. And the message that this sends is that our relationship between father and son is conditional, mm-hmm. which means at the very first time that you act out, and I don't like gone. it, I'm gone. And here God begins to do the same. He says, well, I spoke in my law. Going a little forward, right? I spoke in my law. And you said, talk to Moses. We're going to do what, what he tells us. God says, all right, I will talk to Moses. But then I'm going to live in the midst of you. I'm going to exist in the midst of you. Yeah. And this allows them to realize that even though they throw tantrums, as long as they don't throw God out of the camp, God is going to be there. And that's the thing, right? God is saying, like, even when things are ugly, even when you're at your worst, I kind of, I, 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 I want to dwell in the midst of you. Yeah. Until you tell me to leave. And this is what they continually do. Yeah. And this is what we continually do, right? Like with our actions, like Isaiah says, you know, when, when we have these iniquities, he says it creates a separation between us and God so that he does not hear. And it's, this is often taken to be like, la, 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 I can't hear you on God's part, that he's just like blocking you out. But in reality, we're the ones who are blocking him out. We're saying we don't want a relationship with you. We want a relationship with our sins. And the thing is that the way I see it is uh, taking it back to the Genesis story. Mm-hmm. When Adam and Eve sin, God doesn't leave them. He doesn't say, all right, I'm done with you guys. He comes. That is the whole point. See, when we perceive that God is not listening, is that our actions, we perceive as, as, as if God is gone. But God is right there. As a matter of fact, the only thing that is separating us from being able to hear God is our actions. Mm-hmm. The wall of sin Be- that we build. Because we know that it's not according to his will. We know that we have hurt him. And as a result, 
me feel distant from him. And I always take it to the Genesis story. When Adam and Eve sinned, they know that God told them, by the way, I would like to redefine uh, freedom here. You have all of these choices, a lot of trees that you can eat of, but there's just one that you cannot eat of. Just one and a lot of choices. And now when we begin to look at uh, in Exodus, God says, I have placed before you life and death. And, death. and we're like, my goodness, like it's, it's either you love me or I'll kill you. But we see back true yeah. freedom is you have all of these choices. Just one is, is going to be. But anyway, just parentheses there. Going back to um, Adam But and even Eve. that, like now I want to jump on that because you brought <laughs> it up. Even that, it's a God who gives you the freedom for eternal life. Yeah. Or momentary satisfaction. But what I want and to, he doesn't box you in. But what I want to um, emphasize here is that when we see the word life, is life. Mm-hmm. A lot of options. Yeah. So anyway, closing the parentheses, going back <laughs> to the other one. In Genesis, they they sin against God. Um, they they betray his trust. Yeah. God doesn't say, I'm going to go out and I've had it with you guys. No. He That's, goes looking for them. And what do they do? They hide. They hide. See, this, they are trying to cut this communication between God because they think that God is upset at them already. Yeah. But God comes to loving as he is, yet they're afraid. See, now, same God, same voice, simple question, where are you? The, but now the, the concept that we get here is that when we sin, it changes our view of God. Absolutely. And I think that is the point that, we, that I hope we made throughout this series, that sin changes the perception of God the minute you commit it. That's terrifying. Yeah. And this is why the devil wants to lead us into sin because the more we sin, the more it shapes our mind. Oh, yeah. The more it shapes our perception of God to the point where he will go looking for us and we won't hear him. And, you know, that's why it comes to the point where we need to seek the Lord while he may be found, drawn to him when he is near. It's not because he's not already searching for you. It's because we need to do that. It's because we've become so deaf Mm -hmm. to his voice, blind to the sight of him, that we kind of just need to go and look for him, right? We need to go and read his word and discover that all that time we were looking for him, he was right by our side. And by the way, what happens? God's solution is, well, I'm going to live in the midst of you. Exodus 25. Yep. Make me a sanctuary so I can exist where you live. Yeah. And you don't even have to go that that far. You go back to Genesis, you know, what does he say? Right there, we get the promise that he's going to dwell among us. He's going to become flesh and he's going to redeem us. He's going to die that death, right? Yeah. We choose death and he's the one who dies. Mm. Like he's the one who has to suffer because we made a choice. And by the way, and then he allows us to choose. Now think about it very well. Do you really want death or do you want life? Mm-hmm. I would like to make a, a little parenthesis here, especially when we talk about listening to the voice of God, because I think this is one of the things that we always go through. When we fall into sin. One of my favorite books, uh, The Steps to Christ, Ellen White says, throughout our Christian lives, we will come day after day to the foot of the cross, crying and weeping for the sins that we have committed. See, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a growing experience, right? So many times when you fall into sin, uh, the temptation, the first one that comes is God is not listening to me. You pray. Uh, as one guy told me one time, when I pray, it seems that the, the my prayer doesn't even you know go through the roof. It just stays there. And one of the things that I would like to say to people that experience that, to tell myself that we always experience that, is to remember that even if we feel that God is not listening, keep doing it. Just pray. Yeah. Wrestle I mean, with God as Jacob did. Or even pray like David does. And I think we've said this in another episode, but like, look how David prays. He says, do not remove your spirit from me. Like he mm-hmm. feels like God is not with him. Yeah. He feels like his 
prayers are not hitting the, the ceiling of his palace, right? Yeah. Like they're floating there and they're falling back down. He says, just don't remove your spirit from me. I can't handle that if you do that. Like, I don't know what I'll do, but do not remove your spirit from me. And we have to be honest like that with God. Like, God, I can't feel your presence. I don't know if you're listening, but if you are, like, don't leave me. And also, by the way, let's not go back to the cherished and as the children of Israel did when they went back to the yeah. calf. Or how they do later on with, uh, like, w this week we were studying, um, or last week we studied Barabbas, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing of going back to sin, choosing sin, choosing death over life. Yeah. This is literally a guy who, well, if you don't know the story, but Pontius Pilate says, okay, I'll free one criminal. Well, do you choose Jesus, the king of the Jews, who I find no fault in? Or do you choose Barabbas, the man who's murdered and killed and led rebellions and, you know, who you guys, you know, had wanted nothing to do with before? And now they say, give us Barabbas. Give us sin. Give us death. Give us murder over life. Mm. And how often in our lives do we say, give me Barabbas? Give me, give me death because I don't want to deal with whatever comes with knowing this guy, Jesus. And yet God respects you. Yeah. You know, we were talking the, what was it, a few days ago, that God does not violate your wishes. And yes, I use a very you know, loaded word, but God will not violate your wish. He really won't. If you really want death, he'll let you have death. But he really wants to make sure that's what you want. Well, here's the thing. God is a gentleman, right? And if we boil down this, the whole story of the Bible, we've kind of been all over the place this episode. But if we boil the story down of the whole Bible, it's a man who's in love with a woman. And, we'll re and the woman represents his church, right? Yeah. He's in love with this woman. The and even with the individual, he's in love with her so much that he'll do anything to win her heart. But he's not going to abuse her. He's not going to force himself on her. And when she says no, I respect that. he knows that no means no. And when we understand this, when we understand that the Bible is this story of a romance, it kind of changes the way we look at God. He, now he's like a hopeless romantic, right? Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> he's kind of like, some guys would say, oh, he's kind of dumb. Like if, if I told you that, that I knew a guy that did that, that did that, that he kept going after this girl who kept breaking his heart and he, he just couldn't get over her. There was something about her and he would say things like, what am I going to do about you? Like, you know, I, like you do this and you do that, but I still love you. And he says, you know, I've loved you with this everlasting love. Like if a guy talked to a girl like that and after cheating, after she cheated and abandoned him and went off with other guys and had children with other guys, we would look at him and we would say, man, that guy's an idiot. Uh -huh. What is he doing? And yet this is the God, how the God of the universe talks about me. But the thing is that he knows you. Yeah. And this is how he talks yeah. about you. And this is how he talks about everyone who's listening. He knows us. And the, the, one of my favorite quotes now, and it's a new quote for me. Right, it's, it's not a C.S. Lewis. Lewis quote. <laughs> it's by uh, Chuck De Groot, I think his name is. Okay. And he has, a, a, I haven't finished it, so I'll recommend it half-heartedly. Okay. But he has a really good book on Exodus. And... He says that when we, when we read the Exodus journey, when we read the, the story of Zion and wandering through the wilderness, we see the picture of a God who is willing to take the time to build a relationship with you, to form you into what he's known you could always be since the day you were born. Mm -hmm. A God who is patient enough to not rush you into any relationship. Like, you know, like there are always those people who want to jump into something. They don't take the time to develop it. An abuser. An abuser. Yeah. And that's not who God is. He's like, first, you need to know me. You need to know what I'm about. And he gives the Ten Commandments. This mm -hmm. is who I am. This is my character. Get to know me. Then, 
I, now, now I want to dwell where you are. You know, I'm going to move around where you are. And, you know, this is very common, especially in the culture that we grew up in. Maybe the guy, like, moves closer to be next to the girl. And, like, right, you right. know, like, this is just how it works. Like, I want to be where you are. I yeah. want to be around you so that you get to know me better. I want to get to know you better. And then it continues. Okay, now, now I want to, like, really develop this relationship with you. I want you to get to know me on a deeper level. Let's court. And then it goes into, I want to marry you. And this is how God is. He's like, he's really developing this relationship. And if we followed maybe the way that, the way that God courts Israel, yeah. we would probably have a lot better functioning relationships. I think, I think that's the key right there. When we look at it as a, re- a relationship unfolding between a, God as a prince mm-hmm. knows that we have problems. And he respects that. Yeah. And he doesn't rush and he doesn't push. And when you view God like this, like when I started thinking about God like this, I'm telling you, I started crying. Yeah, I mean, like I, I, I teared up. I'm like, this God is amazing. Like, this is a God who I'm happy to tell people, yeah, I believe in that God. Yeah, but you know, remember the other time when we were uh, at the store and we were talking to your friend, especially about this concept, right? Yeah, the uh, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New. Uh, w- one of the one of the thoughts that came into my mind is that we can sit and argue. And we can, I don't want to say argue, we can sit and discuss, all right? We can yeah. sit and discuss, you know, the character of this loving God. But I can never use enough logic to convince you that this is a worth a God worth loving. No, because this is a relationship. And I can't, you know, go to someone and say, hey, these are all the logical reasons why we should be together. Like, maybe you might convince them in a logical sense, but yeah. then this whole emotional layer is missing. It's there. And, and I think... What I was about to say in that conversation, which was I, which I was eve, uh, eavesdropping. Yeah, you were quiet the whole time. <laughs> but I was going to say, look, we can talk about how wonderful God has been to me. We can talk about how he has changed my life. And it is very powerful. The Bible says that they will know him through what? Through the power of their testimony. Yeah. But there's one more element here that it doesn't matter how much we talk about it. If you see that there's a God that is worth getting to know, why not, why not get to know this God? You'll, better, you'll have a better understanding of who he is. Mm. Now, the question is, is this God who we talk about, who is amazing, is he worth your time? Is it worth your time and in investing in, into this relationship? And I think it is, but that's me speaking personally. I think that you, everyone has to come to a personal understanding of who God is. And the best way to do that is to just read the Bible, like read it genuinely, read it with an open mind, and kind of set your flawed concept of God to the side, which is very hard to do. Mm-hmm. But when we were talking to that person in the grocery store, she said something that was really sad. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, it's not that I don't believe in God. It's, and she, I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember her words exactly. But basically, basically, the God she described was a monster, mm-hmm. an abuser. And I don't believe in that God. And I told her that. I don't believe, well, you know, I don't believe in that God. I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but, like, that God is... Not real. I'd rather be an atheist than believe in that God. And, and, and I guess that's the appeal of atheism, right? Because when you believe God is a monster, when you believe that he's a violator. I'm right there with him. I don't believe in, in that God either. I don't believe. Yeah. Count me in. If that's, yeah. what, if that's what we're defining God as, then I'm an atheist. And we'll be right back after this short break. If you're anything like me, you love a high-quality book. And for the longest time, I had been searching for a high-end edition of the Conflict of the Ages series by Ellen White. And finally, my search came to an end when I came across The Conflict Beautiful by Types and Symbols. 
It's beautifully cloth-bound with a modern design and New King James Version translation. This classic series provides profound insight into the narrative found in the scripture. From Adam to the second coming of Christ, this series is a must-read for every Christian. So head on to typesandsymbols.com and use the promo code RM to get 20% off your purchase. So we said we were going to talk about the death of Moses, and we're quite a ways in, and we haven't yet. It's right, so time to talk about it. It's time to talk about it. And this is another thing that gets people wondering, right? This is a guy who served God. He's a guy who's walked with God. And, you know, he's made mistakes before, and it doesn't seem like God has ever been this harsh with him. Yeah. And yet when he hits the rock twice, as we've talked about before, he's told he's not going to be entered. He's not going to be able to enter into the promised land. You know, this land he's been walking to, that he's been guiding the Israelites to. And it's shocking to people when they hear that God's servant was treated this way. And I think part of the reason why God puts this punishment, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. is because Moses was the one that had the best converse- comprehension of his character. Yeah. He had the closest relationship with God. He, s- he spoke to God. He was the closest one to him. So if God would say, well, you, you can go into the, into the land of Canaan, it would kind of make the children of Israel wonder why he got better treatment. Yeah. So I think part of the reason why he is, um, he's not allowed to go to the land of Canaan is also that. And also w- one of the reasons why he's permitted to die is because it was a reminder to them of the blessings that they have had with Moses throughout this whole journey. And that brings me to a quote, right? And it's a, pretty interesting quote because some could say it goes against what we've been saying here today and it says god speaks to his people and blessings bestowed and when when these are not and it says god speaks to his people and blessings bestowed and when these are not appreciated he speaks to them in blessings removed that they may be led to see their sin and return to him with all their heart now when we read this you know it can kind of sound manipulative So when I read this, you know, like you said, it sounds like, you know, manipulative behavior. We have talked about manipulative behavior throughout the the episodes, but we need to focus especially on this word right here, which is appreciated. Mm -hmm. He removes it, what, on one condition, when these are not appreciated, when the blessings are not appreciated. So if something is not appreciated, then God needs to remove the blessing so you can have all the options and then make an informed decision of whether or not you want to follow him. Well, exactly. It's like in a relationship, we can put it this way, right? Like it's someone who puts in all the effort, all the work. And then eventually they're like, okay, you know, this is really one-sided. You don't seem to want this. So I'm going to respect that. I'm going to take a step back because if you appreciate God's blessings or if you appreciate what someone does in a relationship, it kind of makes you want to do something for them not because you have to but because you're like wow look at everything that this person is doing for me look what everything god is doing for me like you know reciprocal it becomes this wow factor and now now you're like well you know what can i do to like do something for god what can i do to like grow in this relationship with him and it like you said becomes reciprocal and when god sees it's one-sided you know it's okay you don't want this and you know god understands that no means no so he walks away, and that's what it means when he speaks and these blessings are moved. Now it's like, like you said, get all the information. And if you think that what I bring to the table is worth your time, worth the reciprocal relationship, come back to me. 
you know, that quote that says, if you love something, set it free. Yeah. And if it doesn't come back to you, it was never yours. God kind of understands this. He's like, all right, you know, you want to be let go and to experience the full spectrum of life, if you will. Because what does Satan tell Eve? You know, you'll be just like God, knowing good from evil. It's a twist on words. You're going to know evil because you're going to experience it. So when God removes those blessings, he's saying, you want to know what life is like without me. Well, it doesn't make me happy. I have to respect that. Yeah. And we see this, uh, this, uh, this behavior that God has throughout the whole narrative of Exodus. Yeah. What happens when, uh, when the children of Israel begin to complain and everything goes as well? I will remove my protection. And what happens after that? Then the serpents flood in, yeah. and then they realize, no, 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 we really want you. So now they compare. This is life without God. This is life with God. I want to have a relationship with Him. Yeah. So you know, God speaks to them through, uh, with this with this tactic, and they begin to learn. But now, finally, they come to a point where they come back to the same sin. They fail to trust God, and they don't have uh, they don't have water. And what happens? Well, they start yeah, like really getting on Moses' last nerve. Yeah. And if you've ever worked with ministry or you've ever worked with people, like in any way, like, you know, you know what it's like for someone to get on your last nerve. And this is what Moses is feeling now. And has been holding it for a while. Yeah. And, you know, like we talked about in that episode, he, he snaps. He loses his sight of God and he ruins a beautiful illustration of the sacrifice of Christ. And it's dual fold why this has to happen, why Moses has to die. It's to remove, you know, blessings not appreciated are removed. All right. And it's, it's Moses. To, it's a, Moses was a blessing. I mean, yeah. we can't argue with that. Like, this guy did so much for them. This guy was willing to have his name removed from the book of heaven in order for them. He was willing to die the second death for them. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, that's amazing that he would, he loved them that much. And it's also because God has to show that he's not a respecter of persons. Like, mm-hmm. everyone is the same in God's eyes. Whether you're, you know, a pastor, a lay person, you know, leader of the choir, like whatever you do, you're a human being in God's eyes. He loves you the same way he loves the person who sits in the church and never says a word. Right. Um, and, you know, when we forget that, it can cause a lot of problems. So it's kind of to remind them of that. But then what is interesting to me is that when Moses, you know, ruins, like you said, this beautiful illustration, yes, he has to die. He has to experience a first death. But I would like to put this in, in, into perspective. If I had a board, I would draw it. You have Moses in this high position up here, right? Yeah. He, he sins against God. He ruins this uh, beautiful illustration. He comes down whoop, right here. Moses is down here now. The Bible says that where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. And yeah, what happens? Yeah. Yes, he must experience a first death, but then God says, by the way, let me show you, give you a panoramic view of what's going to happen. Let me show you what, through the ministry that we have been able to do together, how this is going to turn out, what is going to be the ending of the, of the story. And Moses sees this. And it's amazing, too, because not only does he see this, but, you know, he gets to see throughout time. Wow. You know, where he's given a vision. Time travel, perhaps. God shows <laughs> him, you know, the end from the beginning. Yeah. He shows him everything. And then he dies. But God doesn't leave him there. And, you know, we can imagine, if you will, if you'll bear with me in my imagination, because this is the first time we see God resurrect someone. Yeah. 
God, Satan is there and he's saying, no, th- th- this guy's mine. He sinned. Mm-hmm. De- he's dead. You know, you can't do anything now. But foreshadowing his full victory over death and the power that he holds, Christ resurrects Moses. And while he doesn't get to set foot on the promised land in that moment, he gets to be there in a much more critical time. In a time when this whole great conflict, this conflict of the ages, it's hanging in the balance. Yeah. You know, everything is on the line. Christ is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he and Elijah, they go there and they're able to comfort him. And we have to we have to notice that these are two guys that one never saw death. Like for example, Elijah mm-hmm. was uh, was taken to heaven which yeah. without dying. And you have Moses, which experienced the first death. And I imagine trying to imagine the conversation that they might have had with Jesus, because imagine, I imagine Moses telling Jesus, look, if you don't go with this, I have to die again. The very yeah. reason I resurrected, the very reason you resurrected me is because you promised that you were going to die for my sin. Mm-hmm. You were going to die for all the mistakes that I did. You're, I, you're going to die because I killed the Egyptian. You're going to die for everything. For the that time I, I hit the rock. Yeah. yeah. And then Elijah is saying, if you, you know, if you don't go through with this, I have to go back. I have to go back. I have to die. Yeah. And, you know, I'm here on, on the promise that you're going to die for me. And I just need to emphasize that this is not, you know, what I said about, you know, trying to imagine. It's not something that it's written. Okay. Yeah. But it's something that is very possible considering that Moses was resurrected and considered that Elijah was taken. Never tasted bread. death. Yeah. And that. And considering also the mission that Jesus had when he was on this earth, everything, like you said, was hanging in the balance. So if Jesus did not go through with this, they were going to come back. Doctrinally speaking, yes, if they, yeah. they would have to. And we don't know exactly what was said. We have to be clear about that. Yeah. We're not claiming to know. But we can for sure say it was an emotional moment for everyone involved. Everyone knew what was at stake. And yet he decides to go through with it for Moses, for Elijah, for you, for me. Yeah. For everyone. And that's the kind of God we serve. Right. And this is in his last statement to the people. This is what Moses says. He says, happy. Oh, you are Israel. Who is a people like you, a people saved by the Lord with this speech that he gives. We see a man who has seen God. Oh, no. What do I mean by that? Well, he asked God to pass before him, to reveal, to show his face. And God says, you want to see me? And what does he show? show? Let me show you my love. Let me show you my love. Let me show you my long suffering, my mercy for thousands upon thousands. And let me just show you who I am, Moses, because this is who I am. Let me wow you, if you will. Let me steal your heart because I'm just this amazing God of love. You know, he's a man who's seen God's love in action. And it's made him feel like he made a wise decision in choosing suffering and affliction with the children of Israel rather than the pleasures of sin for a season. And he can say, I have no regrets.